Chapter fourteen of the Pioneers or the Sources of the Susquehanna A Descriptive Tale by James Fenimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter fourteen. Quote, There's a quart pot, pint pot, mit pint gill pot, half gill nipperkin, and the brown bowl. Here's a health to the barley mow, my brave boys. Here's a health to the barley mow. Unquote. A drinking song. Some little commotion was produced by the appearance of the new guest during which the lawyer slunk from the room. Most of the men approached Marmaduke and shook his offered hand, hoping that the judge was well, while Major Hartman, having laid aside his hat and wig and substituted for the later a warm, peak woolen nightcap, took his seat very quietly on one end of the settee, which was relinquished by its former occupant. His tobacco-box was next produced, and a clean pipe was handed him by the landlord. When he had succeeded in raising a smoke, the Major gave a long whiff, and turning his head toward the bar, he said, Pretty, bring in Tertotti. In the meantime, the judge had exchanged his salutations with most of the company, and taken a place by the side of the Major, and Richard had bustled himself into the most comfortable seat in the room. Mr. Lacoy was the last seated nor did he venture to place his chair, finally, until by frequent removals he had ascertained that he could not possibly intercept a ray of heat from any individual present. Mohegan found a place on one end of one of the benches and somewhat approximated to the bar. When these movements had subsided, the judge remarked pleasantly, Well, Betty, I find you retain your popularity through all weathers against all rivals, and among all religions. How like you the sermon? Is it the sermon? exclaimed the landlady. I can't say but that it was reasonable, but the prayers is mighty uneasy. It's no small a matter for a body in your fifty-ninth year to be moving so much in church. Mr. Grant seems a godly man anyway, and his girl a humble-on and I devout. Here John is a mug of cider, laced with whiskey. An Indian will drink cider, though he never be a thirst. I must say, observed Hiram, with due deliberation, that it was a tonguey thing, and I'd rather guess that it gave considerable satisfaction. There was one part, though, which might have been left out, or something else put in. But then, I suppose that, as it was a written discourse, it is not so easily altered as where a minister preaches without notes. Oy, there's the rub, Judge, cried the landlady. How can a man stand up and be preaching his word when all that he is saying is written down, and he is as much tied to it as ever a thaving dragon was to the pickets? Well, well, cried Marmaduke, waving his hand for silence. 
there is enough said. As Mr. Grant told us, there are different sentiments on such subjects, and in my opinion he spoke most sensibly. So, Jonathan, I am told you have sold your betterments to a new settler, and have moved into the village and opened a school. Was it Cash or Dicker? The man who was thus addressed occupied a seat immediately behind Marmaduke, and one who was ignorant of the extent of the judge's observation might have thought that he would have escaped noticed. He was of a thin, shapeless figure, with a discontented expression of countenance, and with something extremely shiftless in his whole air. Thus spoken to, after turning and twisting a little, by way of preparation, he made a reply. Why, part cash and part decker. I sold out to a pumphite man, who was so thin beforehanded, he was to give me ten dollar for acre for the clearing, and one dollar an acre over the first cost of the woodland, and we agreed to leave the buildings to men. So I took us a Montague, and he took us a Lombimit, and they took old Square Naphtali Green, and so they had a meeting, and made out a verdict of eighty dollars for the buildings. There was twelve acres of clearing, and ten dollars and eighty-eight at one, and the whole came to two hundred and eighty-six dollars and a half after paying the men. Huh, said Marmaduke. What did you give for the place? Why, besides what's coming to the judge, I gin my brother Tim a hundred dollars for his bargain. But then there's a new house on it that cost me sixty more and I paid Moses a hundred dollars for chopping and logging and sawing, so that the whole stood me in about two hundred and sixty dollars. But then I had a great crop off aunt, and as I got twenty-six dollars and a half more than it cost, I conclude I made a pretty good trade on it. Yes, but you forgot that the crop was yours without the trade, and you have turned yourself out of doors for twenty-six dollars. Oh, the judge is clean out, said the man, with a look of sagacious calculation. He turned out a span of horses that is worth a hundred and fifty dollars on any man's money, and a brand new wagon, fifty dollars in cash, and a good note for eighty more, and a side saddle that was valued at seven and a half. So there was just twelve shillings betwixt us. I wanted him to turn out a set of harness and take the cow and sap troughs. He wouldn't. But I saw through it. He thought I should have to buy the tackling afore I could use the wagon and horses. But I knowed a thing or two myself. I should like to know of what use is the tackling to him. I offered him to trade again for one hundred and fifty-five. But my woman said she wanted to churn. So I took a churn for the change. And what do you mean to do with your time this winter? You must remember that time is money. Why, as Master has gone down country to see his brother, who they say is going to make a die out it, I agreed to take the school in hand till he comes back. If time doesn't get worse in the spring, I've some notion of going into trade, or maybe 
I may move off to the Genesee. They say they are carrying on a great stroke of business that away. If the worst comes to worst, I can but work at my trade, for I was brought up in a shoe manufactory. It would seem that Marmaduke did not think his society of sufficient value to attempt inducing him to remain where he was, for he addressed no further discourse to the man, but turned his attention to other subjects. After a short pause, Hiram ventured a question. What news does the judge bring us from the legislature? It's not likely that Congress has done much this session, or maybe the French haven't fit any more battles lately. The French, since they have beheaded their king, have done nothing but fight, returned the judge. The character of the nation seems changed. I knew many French gentlemen during our war, and they all appear to me to be men of great humanity and goodness of heart. But these Jacobins are as bloodthirsty as bulldogs. There was one Rochambeau with us down at Yorktown, cried the landlady. A mighty pretty man he was, too, and their horse was the very same. It was there that the sergeant got hurt in the leg from the English batteries. Bad luck to him. Oh, mon pauvre roi, muttered Monsieur Lacoy. The legislature have been passing laws, continued Marmaduke, that the country much required. Among others is an act prohibiting the drawing of seines at any other than proper seasons in certain of our streams and small lakes, and another to prohibit the killing of deer in the teeming months. These are laws that were loudly called for by judicious men, nor do I despair of getting an act to make the unlawful felling of timber a criminal offense. The hunter listened to this detail with breathless attention, and when the judge had ended, he laughed in open derision. You may make your laws, judge, he cried, but who will you find to watch the mountains through the long summer days, or the lakes at night? Game is game, and he who finds may kill. That has been the law in these mountains for forty years, to my certain knowledge, and I think one old law is worth two new ones. None but a green would wish to kill a doe with a fawn by its side, unless his moccasins were getting old, or his leggings ragged, for the flesh is lean and coarse. But a rifle rings among the rocks along the lake shore, sometimes as if fifty pieces were fired at once. It would be hard to tell where the man stood who pulled the trigger. Armed with the dignity of the law, Mr. Bumpo, returned the judge gravely, a vigilant magistrate can prevent much of the evil that has hitherto prevailed, and which is already rendering game scarce. I hope to live to see the day when a man's rights in his game shall be as much respected as title to his farm. Your titles and your farms are all new together, cried Natty. But laws should be equal, and not more for one than another. I shot a deer last Wednesday, was a fortnight, and it floundered through the snowbanks till it got over a brush fence. 
I catched the lock of my rifle in the twigs in falling, and was kept back until finally the creature got off. Now I want to know who is to pay me for that deer, and a fine buck it was. If it hadn't been a fence, I should have gotten another shot onto it, and I never drawed upon anything that hadn't wings three times running in my born days. No, no, Judge, it's the farmers that makes the game scarce, and not the hunters. Dear, dear, is not so plainly as t old were, Pumpo, said the Major, who had been an attentive listener amid clouds of smoke. Put de lot is not might as for to tear to live but for christians why major i believe you're a friend to justice and to the right though you go so often to the grand house but it's a hard case to a man to have his honest calling for a livelihood stopped by laws and that too when if right was done he might hunt or fish on any day in the week or on the best flat in the patent, if he was so minded. I understand you'll let her stock it, returned the major, fixing his black eyes with a peculiar look of meaning on the hunter. But you didn't used to be so prudent as to look at me so much care. Maybe there wasn't so much occasion, said the hunter, a little sulkily when he sank into silence from which he was not roused for some time. "'The judge was saying something about the French,' Hiram observed, when the pause in the conversation had continued a decent time. "'Yes, sir,' returned Marmaduke. "'The Jacobins of France seem rushing from one act of licentiousness to another. They continue those murders which are dignified by the name of executions.' You have heard that they have added the death of their queen to the long list of their crimes. Les monsters, again murmured Monsieur Lacroix, turning himself suddenly in his chairs with a convulsive start. The province of La Vendine is laid waste by the troops of the Republic, and hundreds of its inhabitants, who are royalist in their sentiments, are shot at a time. La Vendine is a district the southwest of France, that continues yet much attached to the family of the Bourbons. Doubtless Monsieur Lecoy is acquainted with it, and can describe it more faithfully. Non, 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 mon cher ami, returned the Frenchman in a suppressed voice, but speaking rapidly, and gesticulating with his right hand as if for mercy, while with his left he concealed his eyes. There have been many battles fought lately, continued Marmaduke, and the infuriated Republicans are too often victorious. I cannot say, however, that I am sorry that they have captured Toulon from the English, for it is a place to which they have a just right. Aha! exclaimed Monsieur Lacoy, springing on his feet and flourishing both arms with great animation. Size Anglais. The Frenchman continued to move about the room with great alacrity for a few minutes, repeating his exclamations to himself when overcome by the contrary nature of his emotions. He suddenly burst out of the house and was seen wading through the snow toward his little shop, waving his arms on high as if to pluck down honor from the moon. 
His departure excited but little surprise, for the villagers were used to his manner, but Major Hartman laughed outright for the first during his visit as he lifted the mug and observed, "'Ter Frenchman is mut, but he is good as for nothing to drink his trunk mit joy.' "'The Frenchmen are good soldiers,' said Captain Hollister. "'They stood by us in hand a good turn at Yorktown. Nor do I think, although I am an ignorant man about the great movements of the army, that His Excellency would have been able to march against Cornwallis without their reinforcements.' "'Ye spake the tote, Sergeant,' interrupted his wife, "'and I would ever have ye doing the same. "'It's very pretty men is the French, "'and just when I stopped the cart, "'the time when ye was pushing on in front of what "'to keep the ringlers in, "'a regiment of the gentlemen marched by, "'and so I dealt them out to their liking. "'Was it pay I got? "'Sure did I, and in good solid crowns.' A devil bit of continental could they muster among them all, for love nor money. Och! The Lord forgive me for swearing and spaking of such vanities. But this I will say for the French, that they paid in good silver, and one glass would not go a great way with them, for again Raleigh handed it back with a drop in the cup. And that's a brisk trade, George, where the pay is good, and the men not over-particular. A thriving trade, Miss Hollister, said Marmaduke. What, what has become of Richard? He jumped up as soon as seated, and has been absent so long, I am really fearful he has frozen. No fear of that, cousin Duke, cried the gentleman himself. Business will sometimes keep a man warm the coldest night that ever snapped in the mountains. Betty, your husband told me as we came out of church that your hogs were getting mangy, and so I've out and took a look at em and found it true. I stepped across, doctor, and got your boy to weigh me out a pound of salts, and have been mixing it with their swill. I'll bet a saddle of venison against a gray squirrel that they are better in a week. And now, Miss Hollister, I'm ready for a hissing mug of flip. Sure, I know ye'd be wanting the same, said the landlady. It's a fixed and ready to the boiling. Sergeant dear, be handing up ye iron, will ye? No, the one on the fire-fire. It's black, ye will see. Ah, you've the thing now. Look, if it's not as red as a cherry. The beverage was heated, and Richard took that kind of draught, which men are apt to indulge in who think that they have just executed a clever thing, especially when they like the liquor. "'Oh, you have a hand, Betty! That was formed to mix flip!' cried Richard, when he paused for breath. "'The very iron has a flavor in it. Here, John, drink, man, drink. I and you and Dr. Todd have done a good thing with the shoulder of that lad this very night. Duke, I made a song while you were gone one day, when I had nothing to do, so I'll sing a verse or two, though I haven't really determined the tune yet.' what is life but a scene of care where each one must toil in his way then let us be jolly and prove that we are a set of good fellows who seem very rare and can laugh and sing all the day then let us be jolly and cast away folly 
for grief turns a black head to gray there duke what do you think of that there is another verse of it all but the last line i haven't got a rhyme for the last line yet well old john what do you think of the music as good as one of your war songs huh good said mohegan who had been sharing deeply in the potations of the landlady besides paying a proper respect to the passing mugs of the major and marmaduke bravo bravo ricart cried the major whose black eyes were beginning to swim in moisture bravissimo is a good song but nanny pompo is petter let her stock it wilt sing say o oh poy wilt sing ter song as about ter wools no no major returned the hunter with a melancholy shake of the head i have lived to see what i thought eyes could never behold in these hills and i have no heart left for singing if he that has a right to be master and ruler here is forced to squinch his thirst when a dry with snow water it ill becomes them that have lived by his bounty to be making merry as if there was nothing in the world but sunshine in summer when he had spoken leather stocking again dropped his head on his knees and concealed his hard and wrinkled features with his hands the change from the excessive cold without the heat of the bar-room coupled with the depth and frequency of richard's draughts had already leveled whatever inequality there might have existed between him and the other guests on the score of spirits and he now held out a pair of swimming mugs of foaming flip toward the hunter as he cried merry a merry christmas to you old boy sunshine and summer no you're blind leather stocking tis moonshine and winter take these spectacles and open your eyes so let us be jolly and cast away folly for grief turns a black head to gray here old john turns his quavers what damned dull music an indian song is after all major i wonder if they ever sing by note while richard was singing and talking mohegan was uttering dull monotonous tones keeping time by a gentle motion of his head and body he made use of but few words and such as he did utter were in his native language and consequently only understood by himself and natty without heeding richard he continued to sing a kind of wild melancholy air that rose at times in sudden and quite elevated notes and then fell again in the low quavering sounds that seemed to compose the character of his music the attention of the company was now much divided the men in the rear having formed themselves into little groups where they were discussing various matters among the principal of which were the treatment of mangy hogs and parson grant's preaching while dr todd was endeavoring to explain to marmaduke the nature of the hurt received by the young hunter mohegan continued to sing while his countenance was becoming vacant though coupled with his thick bushy hair it was assuming an expression very much like brutal ferocity his notes were gradually growing louder and soon rose to a height that caused a general cessation in the discourse the hunter now raised his head again 
and addressed the old warrior warmly in the Delaware language, which, for the benefit of our readers, we shall render freely into English. Why do you sing of your battles, Chingachgook, and to the warriors you have slain, when the worst enemy of all is near you, and keeps the young eagle from his rights? I have fought in as many battles as any warrior in your tribe, but cannot boast of my deeds at such a time as this. Hawkeye, said the Indian, tottering with a doubtful step from his place, I am the great snake of the Delawares. I can track the Mingos like an adder that is stealing on the whippoorwill's eggs, and strike them like the rattlesnake dead at a blow. The white man made the tomahawk of Chingachgook bright as the waters of a stego when the last sun is shining, but it is red with the blood of the Maquas. And why have you slain the Mingo warriors? Was it not to keep these hunting grounds and lakes to your father's children? And were they not given in solemn counsel to the fire-eater? And does not the blood of a warrior run in the veins of a young chief, who should speak aloud where his voice is now too low to be heard? The appeal of the hunter seemed in some measure to recall the confused faculties of the Indian, who turned his face toward the listeners, and gazed intently on the judge. He shook his head, throwing his hair back from his countenance, and exposed eyes that were glaring with an expression of wild resentment. But the man was not himself. His hand seemed to make a fruitless effort to release his tomahawk, which was confined by its handle to his belt, while his eyes gradually became vacant. Richard, at that instant, thrusting a mug before him. His features changed to the grin of idiocy, and seizing the vessel with both hands, he sank backward on the bench, and drank until satiated. When he made an effort to lay aside the mug with the helplessness of total inebriety. "'Shed not blood!' exclaimed the hunter as he watched the countenance of the Indian in its moment of ferocity. "'But he is drunk and can do no harm.' This is the way with all the savages. Give them liquor, and they make dogs of themselves. Well, well, the day will come when right will be done, and we must have patience. Natty still spoke in the Delaware language, and of course was not understood. He had hardly concluded before Richard cried, Well, old John is soon sewed up. Give him a berth, Captain, in the barn, and I'll pay for it. I am rich to-night, ten times richer than Duke, with all his hands amid military lots and funded debts and bonds and mortgages. Come, come, let us be jolly, and cast away folly for grief. Drink, King Hiram, drink. Mr. Do-nothing, drink, sir, I say. This is a Christmas Eve which comes, you know, but once a year. He, 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 the squire's quite musical to-night, said Hiram whose visage began to give marvellous signs of relaxation. I rather guess we shall make a church on yet, squire. A church, Mr. Doolittle? We will make a cathedral of it. Bishops, priests, deacons, wardens, vestry, and choir, organ, organist, the mid-bellows. By the Lord Harry, as Benjamin says, we will clap a steeple on the other end of it and make two churches of it. What say you, Duke? Will you pay, huh? 
my cousin judge will pay thou makest such a noise deacon returned marmaduke it is impossible that i can hear what dr todd is saying i think thou observest is probable the wound will fester so as to occasion danger to the limb in this cold weather out of nature sir quite out of nature said elanthin attempting to expectorate but succeeding only in throwing a light frothy substance like a flake of snow into the fire quite out of nature and a wound so well dressed and with the ball in my pocket should fester i suppose as the judge talks of taking the young man into his house it would be most convenient if i but one charge on't i should think one would do returned marmaduke with that arch smile that so often beamed on his face leaving the beholder in doubt whether he most enjoyed the character of his companion or his own covert humor the landlord had succeeded in placing the indian on some straw in one of his outbuildings where covered with his own blanket john continued for the remainder of the night in the meantime major hartman began to grow noisy and jocular glass succeeded glass and mug after mug was introduced until the carousal had run deep into the night or rather morning when the veteran german expressed an inclination to return to the mansion house most of the party had already retired but marmaduke knew the habits of his friend too well to suggest an earlier adjournment so soon however as the proposal was made the judge eagerly availed himself of it and the trio prepared to depart mrs hollister attended them to the door in person cautioning her guest as to the safest manner of leaving her premises lean on mr jones major she said he's young and will be a support to ye well it's a charming sight to see you anyway at the bull dragoon and sure it's no harm in be caping a christmas eve with a light heart for it's no telling when we may have sorrow come upon us so good night george and merry christmas to ye all to-morrow morning the gentlemen made their adieus as well as they could and taking the middle of the road which was a fine wide and well-beaten path they did tolerably well until they reached the gate of the mansion-house but on entering the judge's domains they encountered some slight difficulties we shall not stop to relate them but will just mention that in the morning sundry diverging paths were to be seen in the snow and that once during their progress to the door marmaduke missing his companions was enabled to trace them by one of these paths to a spot where he discovered them with nothing visible but their heads richard singing in a most vivacious strain come let us be jolly and cast away folly for grief turns a black head to gray end of chapter fourteen this reading by gary w sherwin of yukon pennsylvania in august of two thousand and nine